Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we have Bruce Hoffmeister. Bruce Hoffmeister is the current Chief Information Officer and Senior Vice President of Cracker Barrel. Before joining Cracker Barrel, he led an astonishing 31-year career at Marriott headquarters, where he held a total of eight positions, ranging from Senior Financial Analyst all the way to Chief Information Officer. During his free time, he also enjoys doing magic tricks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Hoteli Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Suero. I'm your co-host, Teo Bion, and here today with us is our distinguished guest, Mr. Bruce Hoffmeister. Bruce, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you. It's very, very honored to be here. Thank you very much. Well, you've come to Cornell throughout the, through my career, the last two years that I've been here, and uh, we love having you. Great connection with you, especially with Professor Dave Roberts. I know you guys had a really long career together. And uh, well, at Marriott. So I guess, what was your connection to hospitality? How did that process begin? Was it always something you're interested in? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and uh, uh, honestly, no. <laughs> when I when I first got my first job at Marriott, which is a very long time ago, uh, I was just looking for a job. I was looking for. Uh, a place where I thought I could be for at least five years. I had been in two previous roles, and both of those roles were two years or shorter, and I was looking for some stability. And uh, it really was more of a geographic uh, desire. I was looking to be in the D.C. area, and Marriott's one of the larger companies in the area, a very distinguished company. I had some contacts there through my business school friends, and uh, fortunately was hired there. And you know, I was looking for a five-year career, and I was I was there for over 30 years, so it worked out really well for me. Uh, in hindsight, I was very lucky to fall into hospitality. Uh, uh, I grew to love it very quickly, and uh, I think it's a great industry to be in. But was I specifically seeking it out? I can't honestly say that I was. I just uh, I, sometimes you just get lucky. Absolutely. So, Bruce, you mentioned you were there at Marriott for over 30 years. It's a very long time. What What about the company was so special that made you want to stick around? Uh, Merritt's got a great company. And, you know, if people were to ask me today, what's Merritt's competitive advantage? I will tell you it's their culture. And when I first started working at Marriott, I didn't really think about company culture or focus on company culture. But the longer I was there, the more important I realized that it was. And I think that's the reason people stay. Uh, you know, it sounds kind of hokey, but, uh, uh, but it becomes like your family. And one of the interesting things that that I think about, and I tell everybody that I interview, and I've done a lot of interviewing over my career, is, is that you need to make sure that you find a company where you think you will fit in and belong and have fun, because you will spend more waking hours with your work colleagues than you will with your family. And that's an unfortunate statement, uh, but, but it's true. And I think the way Marriott uh, treats people, the way Marriott approaches business, the way Marriott, you know, whether it's the guest or the associate, uh, there are core values, and there are five Marriott core values. I think those core values are what makes Marriott so special. And the interesting thing is those core values have nothing to do with being a hospitality company. Any company could have these core values, but they are Marriott's core values, and I think that's what keeps people around. So do you think that these core values are have been implemented so well just because it's hospitality? I know you mentioned that they're not, I mean, any company can have these values, but do you think 
there's this hospitality aspect that made them so important? I think perhaps uh, it, maybe it's more natural for a hospitality company, um, but not necessarily. For example, the, the first core value is put people first, right? So that when you think about it from that perspective, that might be easier for a hospitality company to do because they are in the business of serving people. But you don't need to be a hospitality company to put people first. Uh, so yes, do I think it, it made it easier? Absolutely. Do I think it's necessary that your hospitality company to have these core values? No. Uh, do I think that these are only core values that companies need to have? Not at all, but I think companies should have their core values and they should live by those core values and that will help determine what the culture of that company is. And, uh, you know, culture isn't good or bad. It, well, maybe it could be bad, but culture just is. And I think it's important to find a company where uh, your values align with, with the company's values. And honestly, that's one thing that attracted me to Marriott as I went through the interview process. It became clear to me that the, the Marriott's company values align very closely with my own personal core values. And so it's a place I wanted to be. Great. So you mentioned this idea of how core, how the values and the culture of a company is almost the most important aspect of a company. Now, here at the Cornell Hotel School, we have these ideas that we need to get to these consulting jobs or, you know, there's a lot of stress on getting a high paying job. And I think a lot of us don't really consider the idea of what's it actually like to work at these places. What do you think about the idea of, you know, going for that highest paying job instead of a job that you think you'll enjoy? Well, yeah, money is always uh, an, you know, an attractive thing, right? People, people work, let's be honest, I work because I get paid. Uh, I love what I do. Even today, I love what I do. But if they didn't pay me, I probably wouldn't go to work every day. So uh, I don't want to uh, dismiss the aspect of money, but it's not um, always the most important thing. And I would rather make a little less money and be someplace that I was enjoying myself and happy and feeling I was contributing than a place where I made more money but was just miserable day in and day out. I mean, money is important, but I would not, I would not say, oh, I'm going to take this job because it's the highest paying job that I got offered and uh, I'm going to hate every minute of it. I think that's, I think that's a mistake. Um, you need to enjoy what you do. Um, and the other thing I, I tell uh, folks people that I have mentored over the years is that you cannot judge your job by your best day in the job, nor can you judge your job by the worst day in the job. Everyone's going to have good days. Everyone's going to have bad days. That's just life. In life, you have good days and you have bad days. You have to look at the totality of the experience and understand, is this on balance more positive and, and uh, more fun and, and more rewarding for you? Or is this something that, you know, when, when the alarm goes off on Monday morning, you can't drag yourself out of bed, oh my God, I gotta go back to the office again. I also believe that if you're, you're not enjoying yourself, uh, you're not having you know, fun or feeling you're contributing, you won't do as good a job. You, you just won't. Uh, I just think it's human nature. So um, I don't wanna tell people not to take a high paying job. Look, everyone wants a high paying job. But if I think of all you look at is money, I think you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to be disappointed in the long term. Absolutely. And, and Bruce, I, I remember you mentioned um, when you came to visit in our class at, in hotel operations last year that when you became in charge of the IT department at Marriott, there was kind of this, um, this division that you felt between the IT department and the rest of the core business. And so you've mentioned the, the aspect of, of how Marriott felt, how Marriott made you feel like you were part of a family. So how did you transform that division to make it feel like it was adding as much value to Marriott as all the other departments? Yeah, I, I, 
I will say what I said, and I believe that you're referring to. I'll tell you what that comment was, and then we can we can elaborate on your question. Um, what I said to the team when I took over as CIO at Marriott, I said, you've probably heard the statement that IT partners with the business. And I fundamentally disagree with that. And the disagreement isn't with the word partner. It's the way the, way the sentence is phrased, that it partners with the business, which removes Marriott, IT from the business. And I wanted the team to feel like they were as much a part as the business as any other discipline. And so I'm very specific in my, in my language. I don't refer to any individual discipline as the business. A lot of people refer to operations as the business. No, operations is a discipline. You don't have a business without financing, without accounting, without sales, without marketing, without technology. And so I didn't want them to feel, the IT team to feel like there was something separate and a part of, from the company. I want them to feel a part of the company and understand the importance that they have uh, in delivering the success of the company. Uh, so that's that's how why I made that statement. And I think it's um, it's just, a mindset, you know. Some people say oh, it's semantics, but I think it's a mindset and how you how you approach and how you think about things. And I also believe that, and this is uh, something that is more natural for some disciplines than others. But you need to understand the business that you're in. You need to understand hospitality. And so I was very uh, purposeful with the IT team to teach them all the acronyms of the hotel space. You know, everybody in IT knew what RevPAR meant. And I, I would bet that before I became CIO, that a lot of people did not know what RevPAR meant. And I wanted, to, I wanted the team to understand how Marriott operated, how Marriott made money, what was important uh, to the success of the company, and then how did they contribute to that. It, it, in my mind, it, it, if you give the, um, the team a better understanding of how they contribute to the success of the company. They become more invested in a part of the company, and they want to do a better job for the company, and, and they understand how what they do matters and makes a difference. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a few a few months ago or a few years ago, they, they went to the uh, Starbucks kind of executive team, and they asked them if they could make a cup of coffee, and none of them really had any idea how to do that. It's interesting that you say to have this idea of, you know, how does the actual business that I'm working in work? How does it function? How do, how does what I do directly correlate with the company? I think, didn't you create some sort of training program that's still used today? I did. I wrote a, I wrote a training program. I did this before I was CIO. I was in the finance roles at Marriott for many, many years. And one of my finance roles was uh, the head of finance for uh, technology. And when I took over that role, I realized at that time that the, the IT team didn't really understand how Marriott operated. So I wrote a presentation called How Marriott Makes Money. And simple as that. And, and it went through you know, managing contracts and the, the different uh, ownership structures, whether it's managed or franchised or joint venture or owned. And I walked through a, a, a P&L and I explained the the various uh, expense categories and, and the, um, the profit margins between rooms and F&B and things of that nature. And I showed where in the, the P&L the cost of the IT department was reflected. So it's like, this is where your cost goes, right? So understand uh, all the work we do here, there's a cost to that. And then, you know, we talked about 
what the revenue drivers were, and then how do we contribute to the revenue drivers and things of that nature. Uh, and yeah, so I taught that course, I mean, for a very long time. And then the Learning and Development Department at Marriott picked it up and made it an official offering, and I, I believe uh, they still teach it today. Wow, such a big impact on a very large company. Very good for you. That's amazing. So at Cracker Barrel, now new CIO of it for the last two years, coming up on three years, correct? Coming this January? Um, yes, almost three years. Right, And I think the average for a CIO position is usually <laughs> three years. That is right. So when I took over as CIO at Marriott, mm-hmm. at, the, at that point in time, the average tenure of a, of a CIO was, was three years. So I, of course, like to set goals. And so I set a goal for myself as I wanted to be above average. So I wanted to be a uh, Marriott CEO for more than three years. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at this at the statistic recently, I imagine it's probably something similar to that. But yeah, I always, I always thought, okay, you got to at least hit the three-year mark. <laughs> right. Why do you think that? Why three years? Uh, it's a very tough job. It's a very difficult uh, role to be in. Uh, there's a, a lot that can go wrong. And with technology, you need to have a, a sort of a special disposition to work in the technology space. Because you guys use technology every single day of your life. Everybody uses technology every single day of their life. And what's your expectation? I mean, for it to work. For it to work, exactly. So when do you notice technology? When it doesn't work. If it works fine, you don't pay any attention to it. You know, you've got all kinds of equipment here, and it's making this wonderful recording. And... You're not even thinking about it because it just works. If the microphones weren't working, if we were getting kind of awful feedback and screeches, you wouldn't be happy and you'd be complaining about it. So in the technology space, people tend to recognize and notice technology when it's not working. Uh, so it makes it a very tough role to be in. So a lot of times, you know, your best day is, is a lack of a complaint. Uh, and your better companies recognize technology, what it delivers for them. And I would say, I think today, more and more companies are starting to recognize technology and what it does for them, you know, because companies can't operate without technology uh, uh, in today's world. Uh, and you, But your better companies uh, recognize what it does for them and leverage that to help drive uh, the top line and, and help drive and set the strategy. So I think it's, it's um, it might be getting longer from a tenure perspective, but it's a, it's a tough role to be in and, and your mistakes are very visible. You're, you know, they're, they're very visible mistakes. Everybody sees them and experiences them and feels them. Uh, and that's why it's, I think, the tenure is sometimes, uh, sometimes short. Right. So I guess I, when I was speaking to you yesterday, you mentioned this idea that Thanksgiving is your biggest day. At Cracker Barrel, yes. Thanksgiving is the busiest day of the year for, for Cracker Barrel. And is this because the amount of volume that are in your stores and your systems that have to you know, make sure that everyone can be served correctly, that you know, all transactions are going in processed and all that? Yeah, there's, there's really, um, I guess, two reasons I would say that Thanksgiving is such a busy day for Cracker Barrel. One, there's a lot of restaurants that aren't open on Thanksgiving. Uh, but our biggest uh, dollar volume doesn't come from dine-in. Uh, similar to, to a hotel, uh, you can only service so many guests uh, a day, right? So uh, I've only got so many seats in the restaurant, and it takes so long for people to get in and get seated and get served and eat and get out. And so there's a limit to how, how much you can put through uh, the restaurant in, in a given day. And you, similar to a hotel, you, you can't add rooms to a hotel for a, a very busy day and then take rooms away later. It doesn't work that way. So one of the reasons that we, uh, our dining rooms are busy because other restaurants aren't open, but the biggest reason that we, it's our busiest day is because we sell um, you what's know, called heat and serve. So it's the ability for uh, a customer to come and pick up a pre-made 
pre-prepared, pre-cooked meal, uh, a full meal for their family. We have them in service, you know, uh, eight to 10, you know, 10 to 12 people, uh, and they can come and pick it up and take it home, and all they have to do is heat it up and serve it. And so we get lots and lots of orders for heat and serve. So it makes the, the Thanksgiving meal uh, a little easier for the for the you know, the family particularly for the people to prepare, prepare it uh, and we sell a lot of heat and serve um, and we start selling that heat and serve uh, several uh, weeks in advance and then people come in all week and pick it up so thanksgiving week is our busiest week also because of all the heat and serves but most people pick the heat and serves up on thanksgiving day and of course that's when we can record the revenue and that makes it the busiest day for us all right so what does your job look like on that day <laughs> my job is uh, I'm on a call. I start early in the morning with my team, and we get, we get on a, a, a team's call, and uh, we monitor our servers to see how they're performing and you know, are they handling the volume and, and the throughput. Uh, and that's you know that's basically it for me. Um, there are a lot of people who work in the restaurants who have very hectic days as they're preparing the food um, for the people because there's there's three things that we can do. On Thanksgiving Day, you can sell heat and serve. Uh, so people have to have that those meals pre-prepared, cooked, ready to go. People have times that you know you're going to you choose a pickup time. And I'm going to pick you. You pick up between 11 a.m. and 11:15, or 11:15, 11:30. And so there's constant uh, flow of cars coming through the parking lot, and going around the back, and people have got to get the, the meals to them and, and, and get the right meal to the right car and get them moving and keep that you know that flow through going. So that's there's a logistics challenge in that. There are people inside who are preparing meals for people who are doing dine-in, uh, who are you know, going to be seated at the tables, and then we have called hot and ready so if you if you buy a heat and serve item then you've got to take it home and you have to heat it up you can also uh, purchase hot and ready those are meals that are prepared that day and they're hot and ready to serve and you pick them up hot and you take them home it's, it's like your classic uh, it's like your classic uh, you know carry out except they don't serve they're not individual plates they're more uh, uh, large servings, more, almost like you can set up as a buffet in your home. So the, there's another type of offering that we have. So it's very, very busy in the store. It's, it's almost like it has to, there's this nice choreographed dance. Everyone's got to be doing their part at the right time and trying to get the throughput and, and serve the guests. So it's a, uh, I, while uh, you know, it's very important for our, our technology to work and our servers to work and to handle, handle the capacity. It's not as hectic for the technology team as it is for the operators unless something goes wrong. And so as long as nothing's going wrong, my day is really one of monitoring and making sure and course correcting to, to make sure that as, as the, the volume and the, the demand and capacity comes in, we can handle it. Um, so it's, uh, it's my work on Thanksgiving Day, but it, honestly, it's not as hard as the people in the store. <laughs> Sounds stressful, though. <laughs> and so I'm curious, attached to Cracker Barrel's business model is the idea that there is an old-fashioned general store, right? So how do you have, what's the challenge been with integrating technology, um, you know, keeping that aesthetic of the old-fashioned business store and the restaurant, and how do you find the balance between improving the convenience for the customers, but also, you know, not diluting that brand image that you're trying to create? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's a very insightful question. So thank you for asking that. Um, the company's name is Cracker Barrel Old Country Store, and you're right. There is a brand voice, if you will, to the to the Old Country Store. The, I mean, the idea uh, that the founder, uh, you know, Danny Myers, uh, had back in 1969 is he put these stores. Uh, 
near Interstate Highway. So the Interstate Highway was was just being developed, and he wanted to travelers have a place where they can stop and rest and get get uh, you know good meal, good home cooking, and feel like a family and have unique shopping all at a fair price. That was the idea. The original Cracker Barrels had gas. They, uh, until the 70s with the with the oil, embargo, the oil embargo, all Cracker Barrels had gas stations. They went away in, in the 70s. But that was the idea. And then uh, to your question, this, you know, how do you keep that idea? It's almost like going to grandma's house. How do you, you know, how do you, you go to grandma's house on Sunday for dinner? That's the feel that we're going through, you know, we're going for. Uh, but to your point, there are expectations of the customer today for for convenience and for speed and a lot of those expectations hinge on technology so we have to find a way to balance the technology in the store with the brand voice and i'll give you a perfect example of how we've done that until recently uh maybe a year and a half ago when you got your your check, uh, your bill at Cracker Barrel, you had to go stand in line at a cashier and and pay your bill, uh, and that's still an option today, and that's still the way most people pay today. However, and I know for my myself personally, one of my biggest pet peeves when I go out to eat someplace that's not fast food, and I go sit down to sit down restaurant, when I'm finished, I want to be able to leave. And it's always a time when I can never find the server to get the check and come over so I can pay the bill and get out. Um, so that that's something that, um, that I just, when I'm done, I want to be able to leave. So there are options at, at uh, several casual dining where they have devices on the table where you can, you can swipe your credit card and pay your check and leave. I couldn't put those in a Cracker Barrel for a couple of reasons. One, they take up some space on the table, and I really didn't have the real estate to do that. But two, they don't fit to the brand voice that you were just talking about, the motif. It just doesn't fit there. You, you have these little oil lamps, and you've got this big, this big machine that you can, you know, you can play games and, and pay, and that doesn't fit. So how do we give that convenience of being able to pay when, you wanna, when you're finished and get up and leave without standing in line at the, at the cashier stand? We, we printed a QR code on the receipt. And you can pull your phone out and use your camera, and you can scan the QR code, and we'll bring your your uh, receipt up, your bill up, and you can pay with Apple Pay or Google Pay, or you can type your credit card number in and just pay right there. And if you need a receipt, you can type your email address in, and it'll, we will email your receipt. And you don't even need the Cracker Barrel app to do that. So that was a way to bring technology uh to the guest in a way that that wasn't obtrusive, but served the guest the way they wanted to be served. Absolutely. I want you to look down the line, you know, five years, ten years in the future. Technology is evolving, and I know that, you know, you've already tried to mitigate the amount of, you know, technology that is diluting the brand image, right? Um, so incorporating the QR code, perfect example of how you kind of mitigated that. Um, and so I, I just want to get your opinion on what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be with integrating technology in the restaurants and the in the convenience stores but without you know diluting that brand image yeah I don't have a crystal ball and I have no idea what's going to be like five or ten years from now I also believe that five or ten years from now our our customer demographic might be a little different you know um, technology for for the younger generations it's just part of life it's just, you think about it, does it do you, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit rhetorical, so if you don't know the answer, that's fine. But do you know when the first iPhone came out? 
Uh, Early 2000s? 2006. It came out in August of 2007. So if you think about that, you know, it's, it's, two, it's 2023. So it's, it's been out for 16 years. You know, that's, from a technology perspective, you know, a lot happens in 16 years. But people cannot remember a time when they didn't have an iPhone. Well, people who are 16 years old always had an iPhone. You know, when they, you know, there, there are, I'm sure you've, you've probably seen uh, babies playing with iPads, you know, and I saw a picture, and this was a few years ago, it was a, a little video of, of a toddler touching a magazine, and it said uh, to a toddler, uh, a magazine is just an iPad that doesn't work, because they were used to touching pictures and having things move. So I would think that, as, you know, especially 10 years from now, technology is going to be much more integrated in our daily lives and it's today. You think it's integrated today and it is, but not for the older generation. And as an older generation, you know, matures and moves on. And you have the, you know, the people who are in their forties now or in their fifties, the people who are in their fifties and they'd be in their sixties, the people in their sixties be in their seventies. There are a lot of folks who uh, technology in, in their forties, it's it's part of their, their daily life. So I think it'll be easier in the future to integrate technology for the guests because it'll be more it'll be expected. It actually will be something that um, the guests, you know, if you don't have it, it, it they're, they're, they won't want to come to you. Uh, but again, it's doing it in the way for the for the uh, the company that you're that you're at. And I, I don't ever expect, you know, Cracker Barrel to be um, uh, a different type of uh, of uh, company than than the motif we have. You know, Cracker Barrel is not going to be a, a Roost Chris, for example. That's just not, that's not who we are. Uh, so we will have to utilize technology in a way that makes sense. But I guess what I'm trying to say, maybe not so succinctly, is that um, uh, it, will, it won't be as difficult from the perspective that um, it'll be more, you know, more accepted uh, from, from, our, from all the demographics. Because today we have the inner demographic who, who is entrenched in technology, we have an older demographic, uh, and I wouldn't say they all don't use technology. I'm, I'm in the older demographic and I use a lot of technology, but there are some in, the, in some of our, our demographic that don't use technology as much. That, that dichotomy will become less and less over time. Interesting. Maybe so, I should have just said that. <laughs> that was nice and to the point. It just took me 10 minutes to get there. No worries, no worries. So I guess kind of off of what you mentioned was the idea that, you know, Technology is an integral part to all of our lives. And now we're seeing a shift, especially in the Silicon Valley, that IT is more for the younger demographic. And as an older adult, it's been in the industry for over you know, 35 years, seen, seen, the, seen technology build from 2000 to 2007 all the way up through with Apple and all that. Do you ever face discrimination in your position that you, know, you don't know IT as well as I do? That's an interesting question. And the, the short answer to that is no, I've not felt that. Um, and I think part of the reason is because uh, I do, because of my job, I do keep up with technology and I do know how technology works. And I think what I bring to the table uh, as an older person in the technology field is not the deep technology chops. In fact, even earlier in my career, you know, there are, I always have people on my team, always who know more about technology than I do. I have to, because there are so many specializations in technology. There are, you know, there are, there are 
people who need to know how to program. There are people who need to know how to, do, how to you know, do database administration, how to keep the hardware up, how to have the networks work. So there's so many aspects of technology that uh, you need specific skills and expertise in, and nobody is going to have specific skills or expertise in all those areas. I, I imagine that's true for every discipline. So what I bring to the table, I think, being older, is perspective and a connection to the organization and the company. And it's almost like, you know, uh, I, I can't play all the instruments, but I have to make them all sound good together, right? And so that's that's sort of, sort of what I see my role as. And I don't feel discriminated against and I don't feel threatened by. In fact, if, if, I did, if I knew as much about technology as everybody on my team, then I'm not doing a very good job of hiring the right people. Very insightful, thank you. That's great. And as we're coming up on our final minutes on the podcast with you today, Bruce, we want to hear your advice and wisdom on the top career lessons that you've learned throughout along your journey. My top career lessons? Uh, well, I'll give you some, uh, some general uh, lessons I've learned over time. Uh, first, as I said earlier, a career is a, a, career's a marathon. It, it's a journey. And uh, so don't be afraid to take a role uh, for a few years to learn and to develop. But I think probably the biggest lesson that I've learned and the thing that served me the best is that don't be afraid to take lateral moves. You know, people today, every time they get a new job, they expect a promotion. I took many, many lateral moves at Marriott. And what I meant by that, I was a, a certain level in this job, and I went to a new job, and I was the same level. I didn't get it promoted from a you know, senior manager to a director or from a senior director to vice president. That happened over time, but I took jobs within the levels to learn more about the organization and to get better experiences. And I always asked myself whenever uh, uh, I was uh, presented with an opportunity for a different role, I asked myself two questions. What do I bring to this role? And what do I get from this role? And there needs to be a balance. You need to bring something to the role in order to be successful. You can't not know anything. Um, but equally, you need to look at the role and say, what am I going to learn from this? How is this going to benefit me? What experiences am I going to have? What skills am I going to develop? What knowledge am I going to gain from doing this that's going to help serve me in the future? Now, obviously, the higher up you go in the organization, one, you're in roles longer, and, and that, you know what you get becomes a little bit less because you've been around for a long time. But I think understanding the answer to those two questions and not being afraid to take a job because you're going to get a good beneficial experience as opposed to a promotion and maybe more money and think about the long game because careers are long games at least at least my career was a long game amazing well thank you very much bruce for coming on the podcast today it was enjoyable thank you for having me thank you great and thank you to all the listeners and we'll catch everyone next on the next episode of the hotel podcast thank you